thank you for your kindness. And for those of you visiting, I had my right knee replaced, knee replacement surgery, uh, nine weeks ago. And so thank you for your kindness and those who have given pills and blessed us. Uh, I remember some of the last two weeks, but I remember the food uh, being good. So thank you for that. So today I am wrapping up uh, our series, our little mini series here on what it means to be human. I'm only human. And um, uh, as we segue into our, our next series, which will be about the character of God. So I'll be wrapping that up. You'll see here by review what we've done so far is that we've, uh, we've, come, we've looked at these topics, and we've kind of done countless topics, and there's a lot more to this. But these are the ones we've chosen to do. We first looked at God created. Is it to be a human being means that you're created. Like God did create yourself. There's lots of implications of that. We're image bearers of God. We're all creation. We're the ones in his likeness and creation. There's a duality to us that we're actually body and soul, the physical and a, and a spiritual side to us. We looked at that. We're relational. Scott did that. We looked at our American retreat that what it means to be fundamentally human is that you're relational by nature. And, uh, and then uh, Kevin covered the idea of being work, the rule of do that we are called to be work, uh, workers. And God's a worker. We'll be working in heaven. Um, and so uh, work is part of what it means to uh, be a human. We looked at it last week. I was thankful Robert was coming to male and female. Human beings are male and female. And uh, none of the rumors are true. I did. Those of you who were last week, I didn't. No, I swear to you. I'll let him uh, do that topic. And then, uh, But this morning, here's what we'll finish with. And it's a little bit of a pivot as I'm prepared. But uh, here's the, what it means to fundamentally be a human. It's the last thing. Here he is, number seven. It's... Um, is that you're a priest. Now, as I put that on the board, you're like, whoa, 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 I thought we were Protestant. Are we Catholic? What do you mean? I think they're not familiar words. So what does it mean that I'm a priest? That a human being is a priest. And so think of the role of a priest uh, is, in general, is to tend to the presence of God. To cultivate it and to tend to his presence here on earth. For heaven meets earth. Is with a human being that God creates and he's with, and so um, uh, the role of the human being is to steward the presence of God, to be a priest. And um, whether you know it or not, here's a few passages, uh, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this, but in the Bible, God's people, we're called uh, priests. Now, we're a nation of priests, as a matter of fact. In Revelation, John, you see the passages there. In the end, we drive to the seven churches in Asia, and he calls, he says, hey, we're a kingdom of priests. You'll see that the amazing kingdom, priests to God. He's talking about the church in the end, before. He's made all of us this, priests before him. And uh, he's made him a kingdom of priests, our God, Revelation 5.10. You'll notice that Peter, look what he says, yourselves like living stones were being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And then again, he says in verse 9, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So what it means to even be a Christian is to be a royal priest. And notice that's to the churches. It's a set-apart priest, but all human beings were made to be in the presence of God, to steward that. Now, I'm not saying that every person is a Christian because they're a priest, because notice what those passages refer to Christians, that they're set-apart priest, priesthood, a holy priesthood. That human beings in our sin, we lost, we didn't steward God's presence we, we are, could be a priest. If you don't not follow Christ, you can't be a priest that stewards the presence of God. You need the great high priest who has come and restored us to him in order that you can, can service and, be, and steward the presence of God. 
So what I, even if you think about it, think about all of, all of human beings in the world is so low. Even if you're an atheist, you're trying to define yourself by not being a God. You're human beings are thinking about the God, all the religions, all the beliefs, all the things that they do. Something in human beings is always trying to steward the idea of a God. By his grace, you and I know the true God. Is the God of the Bible and Jesus Himself. So fundamentally, it needs to be uh, a priest. And I hope to make that argument here from Genesis that that so let me just ask you this question. How are you doing in your priesthood? I'll be honest, I I'm not done the last couple of weeks doing the presence of God in my life and here on this earth. It's difficult to do that. My guess is you made New Year's resolutions around that your whole life. I'm no longer doing it before the presence of God. So I hope by looking at this fundamentally this morning, we, we are fallen. We're not good at it. And you're a follower of Christ, but you, you are a royal priesthood now. It is our role to cultivate the presence of God in our lives and lives. And uh, hopefully going back and seeing that that's fundamentally who you are. Uh, well, so I make you breathe in and say, I want to do that. I'm designed to do this. And Christ has come to reinvigorate you to do that matter. So um, we don't believe, so you'll be, be sure that, uh, there's a, that there's a priest. So what is my role? That we don't believe that a priest is there's a person on earth who has to be your mediator between you and God. You and all can be before God. You're a royal priesthood. My role is the clergy if we will, is to help you do that. But I don't, I, you don't go to God through me. Does that make sense? Wow, what a high call. Your priest. So, human beings will look at our outline be sanctuary, savior, steward, and sent the sense of what it means to be a Christian. There's your alliteration. That's stuck to it. Once again, let's pray. God, um, We confess that we don't steward your presence well in our lives and on this earth and everywhere we live and dwell. But would you help us? Would you, would you shape us? And um, from your word, would you speak to our minds and our hearts? And, and Lord, we look to you as the one who designed us and created us and the one that we're made in your image to show us uh, what it means. We look to you to help us to understand this truth. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, maybe Yay, go over there a little bit. I'll be fine. If I fall, I can get back up. So don't worry. All right. Um, if you were raising your, open your eyes early, it sort of wobbled there at the end. I'll be fine. Okay. Um, so look at the sanctuary. So, what, so in the Bible, where did where we think this where God's presence dwells? Where does He dwell in the Bible? And you'll see, as God's people are wandering, there's a tabernacle, a tent among the twelve tribes, and they're wandering. Then He dwelled, and then He moved when Solomon and David built a temple, and He uh, dwelled among the temple. Well, then now we know that He, the Holy Spirit, there's no need for that temple. The veil's been broken, and God's the temple is you, your body. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and the body of Christ. When the church gathers, the Spirit has a connection and He dwells there. The Spirit dwells within a temple. What I want you to see here in the Genesis story is that where we start, where human beings start, we start in a temple or a sanctuary. That's where He places us first. All right, look, look at the passage with me as we begin to walk through it. You'll notice that 
<laughs> in verses um, 6 and 7, 5 and 6 and 7, it says that the world, the ground, is telling us that the world that needed water, and God for water, and he brings man to cultivate and take care of it. He needed man to do the work of it. And you'll notice that transitions from ground, but then it gets to verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden. So the garden, there's a garden in Eden. So many times in our minds we consider and think that the garden is all of Eden, but the Bible teaches that there's a garden, a special place within Eden. Eden would have been the area or the surrounding area, but God places man in a specific place. And so actually in the end, when he casts out, when man sins, man goes to his curse is cast out of the garden and goes and curse and the ground is cursed. He's no work. He doesn't get to work in the garden. And this garden is a set-apart place within Eden. It's a sanctuary. It's a special place where the presence of God is found. They're placed in a garden of Eden. So I don't know if you thought that. You think of Eden garden synonymous. No, there's a garden within Eden. And that place is a sanctuary. It's a special place. Where did God, uh, you'll notice here, remember when, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, we're going to eat of Genesis 3, and they hid from God, and it tells us where was God walking? He was walking in the garden. Genesis 3, 8, 10 should be here. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. And in the cool of the day, the man and the wife themselves from the presence of, hid themselves from the presence of God in the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Where did God meet and walk with them? He wasn't out while they were ruling and subduing. He would meet and walk with them where? In the sanctuary. In his presence. <coughs> in verse 15, uh, you'll see, uh, it also tells us the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the idea of putting him there is the same word as a place of rest. All right, and that word there is to, is, is to put to rest, to put there, is to set to rest. Which, by the way, the context here was the last day was Sabbath rest. And then we learn about man being placed in a place of rest. What was the purpose of the Sabbath? It wasn't made for God, it was made for man. For man to look and to see and to cease uh, God sees so that they would enjoy creation and look to God. And they would pause. And think about that in the next part of the story in Genesis 2. We see God putting him in a place of rest. There was a day. There was a place. There was a sanctuary in the presence of God. In Genesis 2, uh, I didn't read this, 2, 10 through 14. I'm trying to be nice to my scripture reader. The Emily says she didn't have to read the names of the rivers and all that. But just notice, look here in Genesis 2, 10 through 14. Uh, we skip those verses, but the Eden or the, the garden was within uh, these rivers. And notice what what um, what what, plate, what was in the garden. Uh, uh, the gold and the land is good. The bdellium and the onyx stone were there. You know what those stones, those precious stones? Guess where those stones were used? In the building of the tabernacle and the temple. That's temple language. When they were building the temple, they were building the presence of God, and they were using the stones that reminded them of the first sanctuary that they were brought into. It's temple language, it's sanctuary language. And then um, <clears throat> Genesis 3, 22 and 24, the Lord said, uh, for this verse, he says, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now let's reach out his hand and take his also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out into the garden to be the work of ground which he was taken. And he drove the man out of the east, out of the garden. He was 
driven out of the place where he was in the presence of God. And look where he put them. Guard the garden. An angel. And he didn't guard the sanctuary. So God let the angels do it. Guess what beings were on the Ark of the Covenant that was in the middle of the tabernacle? Angels. All the other angels were guarding what? The place where the presence of God was shown. The placing of the cherubim in the east of the garden reflected the tabernacle and the temple. God carved out a place in his creation. Think of this principle. In order for man to be in his presence. In a unique, in a sense, we're always in God's presence. He's omnipresent. But where he put man, where he started man, was in a place where there was a special connection to his presence. It was a temple. It was a sanctuary. It was different from the rest of creation. That's where he placed him. And uh, I don't know about you. Have you ever, uh, anybody here been to Central Park in Manhattan? Okay, it's cool. Uh, I mean, you know, it's the uh, it's an 843 acre park. I have a picture of it here, right in the middle of Manhattan. Manhattan's an island, which is you know what I think nine million people or six million people live in New York City in this area. But right there's this huge park. It's bigger than Danville, I guess. I mean, it's a it's gigantic. Only people have been there. But it is a a, a place. Think about the money <laughs> that would be they could use if they built high rises in Central Park. There's so much money to be made there. But what they decided to do is to build a place where you can recreate, rinse, play. In the 70s, I think the thing was just a junker. And 40 years ago, they came up with a conservatory sort of board that created, rejuvenated it. It's incredible. And it's a place to relax in the middle of the hustle and bustle. So here's one of the things you can include about us being born in a sanctuary. The place before, when God made man, he breathes life into him, he made him in the sanctuary. And then from the sanctuary, in his presence, now he goes out into the hustle and bustle of the world, the world is due. And then once a week, he returns to the sanctuary to rest and be there. Here, what it means to be human is that when we are in the presence of God, we can go and rules and do. Look, we just looked at all these other things of what it means to be human, to be a worker, and to go build those skyscrapers. And they go, but being a Christian, you'll have people sort of make it out to be an extreme sort of hyper spirituality where it's like all we do is pray and read our Bibles, and that's all we do. We know that's not what it's being doing. But feed our children. We have to work. We have to do so many other things. And one component of what it means to be human is to carve out a part of our life and, and, and be a custodian or a priest of the presence of God. Central Park is a beautiful picture. In the midst of the world that the rules are doing, we need a park, if you will, a sanctuary, a garden. So, um, here's the application from that. Do you carve out time and space in your life to be in the presence of God? To steward His presence? Unique, special. And there's two ways. Remember, you're, you're a temple. The Holy Spirit now dwells in you. you. He tabernacles inside of you. So what that means is the priest that you personally can meet with God. Do you carve out time in the rest of your life to actually meet with him in a sanctuary 
before in the presence. Also, when we believe the other application of that is the body of Christ. That's the other sanctuary where people gather. God, in the New Testament, forms a structure of a church where God's people are removed themselves and gather and be there. And so that's a great application to carve out a place. Do you see that? You were made in the sanctuary. That's where you're first, and then sent out to where it's good. Genesis 1 gives you the panoramic view, but Genesis 2 shows us that we were made. As priest, as steward, and be in the presence of God. So the others is this to savor his presence. The second one is to savor. Look at this. It's one of to say this is that um, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight of God for the good for food. The tree of life is in the midst of the garden. And so what I want you to see is like in this garden, notice that God made it enjoyable. It was good to his sight, and God made it a special place where it would be enjoyed. Metaphorically, this really happened, but metaphorically, to be in the presence of God is to have joy and have great. Some of you think, well, man, if you're like me, you're like, God, oh, and as I help my kids, it seems so hard to get in the presence of God. And how do we do that? We read his Bible, which we'll see here in a minute. But to get in the presence of God, the presence of God seems very difficult, but it is to be that's how God designed it. It was made beautiful for us. And um, not every meal or every time that you meet with him will it be a feast. And, um, but you and I, is a place all of the cravings. Think about how Jesus described himself. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I'm the way, the truth, and his life. He's trying to say to you, all the cravings, all the desires, everything that you want to enjoy is found in me. It can be savored where? In my presence. In the sanctuary. When you're before him, and there it <coughs> there's an incredible quote uh, by the philosopher Thomas Aquinas, and um, he was in the 13th century. He, he once asked the question, "What was uh, he once asked the question, what would satisfy or desire? Desire? What would it take to feel satisfied, to have enjoyment, to have full satisfaction?" And his answer was this. The answer he came up with was this. We would have to experience everything and everybody and be experienced by everything and everybody to feel satisfied. Eat at every, every restaurant, travel to every country, every city, every exotic locale, experience every natural wonder, make love to every local partner we could possibly desire, and every reward, climb to the top of every field, open every item in the world, etc. We would have to experience to have everything in order to be satisfied. And in a sense, we try. But you know, there's a place. everything is found. That's what Jesus was saying. You hungry? You want to go to restaurants? With me. It's a place to be savored. And then here's the, uh, the steward, the presence of God. Um, verse 15, when we looked at it, it said, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it to keep it. Now this is another argument that this was a tabernacle, this was a temple that we were first made in. But you see the two words there, work and keep, the garden. Well that looks like, okay, we were agriculturalists or we were farmers when we started. That's not really what theologians believe and think about that because when you look at these two words, we work and keep, that phrase and those two verbs, where they're used as coupled together like that are always, or most of the time, not always, but most of the time they are used in the Pentateuch, or its temple language. 
is always describing the work and keep of the Levites and their role in keeping the principle. It's, it's typical language that what it's saying is, is that yours and our job, but when, they, when God made them to be, was to work and to keep the garden, to keep the sanctuary, a place of God's presence, to cultivate it, to work it, and to keep it, and to serve it. And um, those two verbs are found together. We have the duty of the Levites and the indication of man was created to be spiritual servants. And so what does it mean to work and to keep that? Well, obedience, I think, is wrapped up in that, to obey God and to follow Him. But it, it means that you and I, as priests, it's not just sort of let go and don't give me, people say, I don't want to be legalistic, I just want to be in a relationship with God. I don't. But God is calling you, to a sense, to actually make effort to cultivate His presence in the temple. To serve in the garden, to bring his presence there. That's what he's saying. So it is good for you and I. So how, how do we cultivate his presence now? The means of grace, which are a means of grace. Why do we call those things? Means to experience the grace of God, the one who is in the temple, the one who we sanctuary with. Those things like the word. He speaks to us. Prayer, we communicate with him. It is our job to, to do the things and use the means of grace to work and to keep the sanctuary, if you will, in a way that we can use it and be before God. That's what it means to be priests. So it is good that you have New Year's resolutions in a sense to say, here's how I want to cultivate and work and keep the garden in my life. That's why in this study, being in a connect group, that's one of the means of grace is a good thing. As you learn from this word and learn about the character of God, now I'm learning what this one is like that I'm meeting with in his presence. And he makes it all the more better. And he tells me what he's like. And I talk to him. Do you see that? That it is to steward the presence of God. Lastly, as we go to the table, I, uh, the last one here, just the sense, there's a sense about the presence of God. What I mean, when you're in the sanctuary, I do think that there's a sense or a sort of an unspoken but implied reality. What, what is the sense you have, you should have, and I should have as priests when we're in the presence of God? When you're spending time with him alone, when we are in his fellowship, when we are in his presence as a group of people, as a church, what is the sense? What should you and I be aware of as we come into his presence? There's numerous things, but a few things I want to highlight. I've got three I want to highlight here from this passage. They're quick. I'm not going to go into them deep. One is submission. Secondly is limits. And the third one is vulnerability. When you and I, this passage shows that when we come in the presence of God, these are what we should be aware of. And this is a good thing for us. The first one, notice what happens in the garden. God gives a command. And he says, uh, to not eat the tree of, uh, of, of uh, knowledge of good and evil, not to eat of that. And so <laughs> he's the one setting the boundaries. We're living in submission to his commands. He's king and we're not. Remember, we're image bearers, but we're not God. We reflect who he is. He's capital king and we're little kings. We do rule and subdue. But our problem in our life is when we go out into the world and we quit going back to the sanctuary and meeting with him, you know what happens? If you and I go function in this world in all our places, in all our relationships, all our jobs, we start thinking and believing that we're capital king. king. When we go to the presence of God, one of the things that must happen is like, you're a king and I'm not. And so to be a priest is to live in submission. That God, you become aware of that in his presence. That's a good thing. We 
And could have done a whole, whether it be human, it means to be submissive. Do you know that even in the manifesto marriage passage in Ephesians 5, you know what it says in Ephesians 5, 20, before it gets to 21? It says, before it goes into marriage, it says, let each of us submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Marriage is a mutual submissiveness. The triune God that we're made from submits to one another. Jesus, our King, came submitting to the will of the Father. In order to be a human, the most healthy way you and I can function in the presence of God is to be submissive. Listen, I don't trust people who don't submit to people. Even our government is designed for not one person to be king. There's only one king who can rule everything and be kind and gracious and perfect. That's the only monarchy that can rule us. We can't. We were actually made to be submissive. I would challenge you to think this way. If you begin to live submissive to advice and others and not posture yourself to be king and everywhere you go, but to listen and to listen to God, you would begin to thrive as a human being. Also known as human We enter this temple. That's not the other one is that the limits that we see there that we're limited. By the way, we're even when we're born, we're born as children into a family with authority, and children learn to submit because that's what it means to be human beings. That's what we are. Then the, the third one is limited. And um, I think personally that God puts, and it's from different angles to say it this way, when he puts the tree in the middle of the garden, right in the middle of it. It's the only, there's only one no, there's only one don't do this, only one thing he holds back. But he puts a tree there, and it's merciful to put that there. It says this, you can't handle all knowledge and all truth. It's reminding you, I can handle it, you can't. You have limits, and I don't. And that's what the servant offered to Eve and Adam, to be like God. You're not omnipresent, you're not all-knowing. Listen, technology makes you think you can handle everything. And yet the stress and anxiety is rampant in our world because we know so much. And we weren't meant to know everything. And part of what it means to admit our limits, and I'm talking about limits and everything, that you can't fix everything. Just admit, I can't do this and I can't do that. I mean, Westerners and Americans think we can do everything. We can't. One of the jokes that Xander does in our house right now, he laughs because I'm making him say this. He's like, you just put your mind to it, you do whatever you want. He knows you can't. There's just some things you can't do. Why? Because we're limited. When we come to his presence, that's a sweet thing to remember. What a relief that in the sanctuary, God will remind us of our limits. Aging makes you know that, doesn't it? Sanctuary. Which 
which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of business, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle begins again. I don't know who that guy is. He's quoting. I didn't look that up. But he's quoting someone else. And then read this. Modern modernity slowly weakens spirituality by design and accident in favor of progress. It downplays silence and means in favor and noise and constant action. The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. If the churches came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction, Perhaps they might begin to appeal again to a frazzled digital generation. When I, when I read that, I thought, not hedonism, distraction, but try to live as if there's no limits to you. And me. To be a priest is to be submissive in his presence and admit our limits. And lastly, the vulnerability. And I almost was, this was almost what I just did alone on this Sunday. This is something I've personally been learning. But one thing that we have to be aware of that God did in the garden is that there's another person in the garden that comes into play in chapter 3. It's the serpent. It's the evil one. And God allowed him that's all our reality to think about. Don't have time to get into the theological. But it was God's will when He made human beings to place us in a place where we were vulnerable to something difficult happening to us. And I would argue that the very nature of what it means also to be a human, to be a priest, is to be vulnerable. Human beings were made to be vulnerable. What does vulnerability produce? Dependence. The realization that you need someone. We fight vulnerability all the time. And the way you fight vulnerability is you become keen. Try to get control of your life. We struggle to be vulnerable with each other relationally. We struggle in a sense to take risks, but to move out in the world. We want to know everything that God has in store for us. And yet he doesn't tell you a whole lot. He didn't even tell them why he makes us the garden there or anything. He doesn't offer that. Hey, he doesn't deserve that. He's king and we're not. But we live a life vulnerable. And the desire is to be vulnerable. And the last thing we have in Genesis 2 is a man and woman completely without any clothes, naked before God in his presence, they were vulnerable. Exposed. So our greatest fear is to be vulnerable in many ways. It's one of our greatest fears. And yet the greatest place for you and I to live is to learn to be vulnerable. Listen, have you, have you ever had a friend or your wife or a husband or someone who finally let them in on something that just was 
tormenting your mind or your heart, or you, you ever found that in failing and you realize you admit your weakness or you come clean about something you've hidden in your life? I mean, it's a vulnerable moment to bring your sin, to bring something before people, and to come into the light is normal. And yet when we do it, it's the most beautiful and thankful thing that ever happened to us. Why? Because we were made to be vulnerable and to live before a person our God and King who we're going to learn about for the next few weeks and let Him, the one who is kind and righteous and good and just, and let Him deal with our vulnerability. He can handle it and He will handle it perfectly. And He invites you and I back into that vulnerability in His presence. We're scared of it, scared to death to be vulnerable and yet it's not As we come to the table, uh, may I finish with Christ, who was the great high priest. And he came. We wouldn't submit to God. We abandoned our priesthood, but he came as a great high priest. And he did submit to his father. He was submissive, and he came and was obedient to the point of death. And he, although he was, at, was fully without limits like us, he actually emptied himself of many of his attributes and became limited like us, laid down his limits so that we might be brought back into the presence of God. He became in human form. And he, was he not vulnerable? He came to a people who had rejected and made himself the death. The reason we don't like vulnerability is because it feels like death. Because death is the ultimate vulnerability. In the end, I have no power. What will God do with my soul? And a great high priest came to rescue and to cleanse and to make a royal priesthood. A priest today to long to want to um, be in the presence of you. Help us to fulfill our role as human beings and to cultivate and steward your presence in our life and really everywhere we go. Would you help us to do that? God, I confess that I, I want to operate separate from being human. I want to be non-human sometimes. 